we're back with another episode of the Saxo Market Call, and today it is with Ulias Hansen, and we're going to talk about commodities. And we have three themes today, Ul. We are going to talk about crude oil, gold, and then a little bit about the soft commodities. So um, a lot of action, and um, I think especially crude oil is interesting because it's down almost almost 20% at Brent crude from the peak. Yep. And um, I guess that was not really the plan from Saudi Arabia. It was most certainly not the plan. And I think it's also, um, and, and I think basically the reason why it's it's uh, the, the sell-off has been this aggressive is because uh, no one really saw, the, saw it coming. Um, we have uh, gone through a, a third quarter where market uh, rallied by almost a third. We saw Brent uh, hitting 90 before the, before just taking a breather, and then the uh, the, the the geopolitical risk premium uh, just temporarily uh, returned last month before being before deflating very quickly again. So, uh, I think what we simply we're basically just seeing uh, the uh, we're seeing a seasonal slowdown in in demand, which was expected being being exacerbated, uh, strengthened by the fact that we've had some uh, data weakness coming out of China. We have a. Uh, we have a, a speculative position that has been completely turned around, geared towards higher prices. And now, uh, again, uh, once again today, we've got the Saudi energy minister once, uh, once again out uh, singling out speculators, the main reason why we are, we're, we're down here. But, I mean, you can't you can't both have your cake and eat it. Uh, it it's, it's, That's a very easy scapegoat to put, it is put indeed, out always, because, right? Because what the, the, the actions they, uh, they, they did in the, in the months leading up to this basically sucked out all the uh, short positions. We had a short position dropping to the tw- lowest in 12 years uh, so the growth short obviously there was a big net so the big net the net position was rising very f- rapidly and uh, the process of that the growth short was cut to a 12 uh, 12 year low that basically means when the market turns around for whatever reason this time around due to lower softening demand there's no shorts to absorb any longs that want to get out and that basically uh, makes the, the door where everyone needs to get out uh, quite narrow and that's why we had this capitulation so i think we probably sub 80 here in brent i think it's, it's probably an area that starts to offer some value but uh, whether we whether this long liquidation phase is, is over remains to be seen and if we just yeah yeah and we we have the 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 weak economic backdrop both in europe and china is definitely weighing on on demand um for sure it is indeed and and you can see that in the time spreads if you look at the spread between uh, the first and the sixth months uh, futures contract in brent uh, that was uh, more than eight dollars uh, just uh, just a couple of months ago now it's down to one and a half and and remember if you're a long only investor in oil if you're looking at a at a, at a backwardation this uh, magnitude that basically means that if if prices over the next six months stays unchanged you'll basically make eight dollars on your on the on a passive long position, that's almost ten percent. Yeah, based on the current price. Exactly, and now that has collapsed to one and a half. So that basically means if you are long only and you're looking for this backwardation as a means of of of, of capturing returns, then uh, then that trade has collapsed, and that basically means you're getting out of your exposure. So so that's one part. We have the ref- refineries in China. They have um, they have used up their quotas. So the Chinese government issued exports quotas every uh, on a regular basis, um, and we had some really high margins early in the year, early this autumn, and uh, they were just uh, exporting uh, uh, at a very rapid pace. That means they basically used their margins, uh, their quotas, meaning that they need less oil, and that's also bringing down uh, demand for crude oil. So, so uh, I think it's not because the economic activity has gone off a boil completely it's just simply we're getting going through a, a seasonal uh, period of uh, of slower demand which is then being being uh, or the price weakness and being excessive uh, excessive due to the uh, due to the directional sudden directional change in the market yeah and um, 
one of the things that I haven't been writing about it yet, but um, I just completed the other day. The Q3 figures on battery electric vehicles. I actually talked about it on the uh, on the podcast um, yesterday, and um, we can we can reiterate some of the points. So for for this commodity update, um, we there was a global delivery at least across the brands that we are tracking. So that's most of the most of the uh, the demand or supply of vehicles. 1.7 million deliveries in a single quarter. We are getting, we're zooming in on 10 million uh, for the global market of battery electric vehicles for uh, for this year. And uh, if you take the if you take the cumulative amount of battery electric vehicles from Q1 2020 till now, that has an equivalent of sucking out almost uh, 400,000 uh, barrels per day of oil uh, in less demand we would have had otherwise if we had not had the electric vehicles. And if you take the current adoption curve and you shift it out to Q4 2025, so that's only two years from now, we will hit the 1 million barrels per of crude oil per day in less demand from this electric. And this is only passenger vehicles. Then you can add the two and three wheelers, vans and trucks. And that's really, I think, probably where we can see, uh, if you look across Asia, seeing the number of uh, two-wheelers uh, roaming the streets. If they, Everywhere. If, if that starts to uh, adopt as well, that, then uh, that uh, that will accelerate. So it, it does obviously mean that we are getting, uh, we will see peak demand, whether it's going to be uh, in five years' time or in whatever, that, that still is the big open question, that, which is continued up for discussion. But uh, we are heading that, in that direction. Yeah, what is the... Um, what is the what is the annual increase in oil demand? Is it around a percent? So around a million extra barrels of oil, or is it less now? Or what well, is it? this year has been somewhere between one and a half and two million barrels, so it's been quite strong this year. Still coming on on top of the uh, the lockdown pandemic and so on. So we had a reasonably robust year for traveling, uh, which has increased uh, jet fuel demand. But uh, but uh, already next year, it, it it looks like it's going to uh, ease back down towards uh, the one to one and a half million barrel, but still an increase. And uh, there was actually an EIA report out earlier this week based saying that the, the gasoline consumption per capita uh, in the U.S. will drop to the lowest in 20 years next year. Obviously, that wow. doesn't say anything about the total, but uh, but con- average consumption is coming down. It's a brave new world. But moving swiftly uh, forward here, we're going to talk about gold. So um, gold has corrected um, 60 bucks um, on the spot. So is this is this the time to rethink your long position in gold? It's been one of the best asset classes for your asset allocation in more than twenty years. Um, a risk diversifier, an income enhancer. But you know what is what is the outlook on gold? Is just is this just temporary? And I guess a lot of things it has to, it's linked to the changes constantly in the narrative. Is it peak rate or is it not peak rate? And what about inflation, etc.? Exactly, and I, I think to, to answer your question, uh, Peter, if, if if you are investing in gold, uh, I assume you invest in gold as part of a a uh, of a diversified portfolio. And uh, when you have a period just like we we just recently had, where it jumped really fast at a time where stocks were under pressure, that was great. Now we're seeing the longest winning streak in U.S. stocks uh, in two years. Uh, so obviously the need for alternatives has not been there. So gold has uh, been retracing, but still net net. I'm st- I'm sure you're still uh, reasonably well off. So so it does indicate that it does. It's it's good to have just to take some of the the volatility out of your out of your PNL. And um, it is right. Uh, we are going through this uh, correction consolidation phase now. We haven't really broken any significant levels to the downside. The first area we're watching is 1930. But um, I think as long as we have this, uh, as long as we see this. 
bid in the stocks, then uh, then and, uh, gold will probably not do a great deal. And, uh, and also a big overhang of speculative interest. We had this uh, the the third or the second highest second fastest gold accumulation on record in the three weeks up until last Tuesday. So uh, a lot of new longs in the market that that obviously needs to feel comfortable. And right now they have to they're just uh, easing off some of the some of those uh, positions. But I think the outlook for next year is still one where the market is, is looking for rate cuts. Central bankers, the FOMC members, they are talking a little bit tough after perhaps sending out a bit too obvious message at the recent FOMC meeting. And of course, they have to talk tough because if they start to talk dovish, then the financial conditions will ease too soon. So they have to talk tough until they don't. And uh, and, and and they'll probably talk tough until the the day where they, they deliver the first rate cut. So... Um, so if we don't really see too much, look, see built too much into that. So uh, we still expect we have seen uh, peak rates and uh, and prices will will uh, consolidate here. One uh, small uh, uh, span in the wheel is is the weakness in silver and platinum and and copper, which is obviously based on the economic outlook for which uh, has been challenged a bit with the uh, weakness in data we had recently. So that's just, I would say, for now, holding gold back uh, somewhat. So uh, so that they need to stabilize as well for, for gold to uh, assume it's, it's a send again. Yeah, I, I um, you know, this, this copper trade is, 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 is fascinating because there is this all, all this demand. You have all the copper miners basically saying we're only doing brownfield investments and here we are. Copper yep. prices are not moving anywhere, but um, but at the same time, it's not. It's not. Uh, I think the fact that we've had a, a really challenging six months with the, the property sector in China, with the Chinese economic outlook uh, deteriorating, um, that it's, it's actually been holding up really well uh, yeah. relative to some of the other metals. Yeah, if you think about what the, if you think about how the market responded, would have responded five, six, seven years ago to a slump in the Chinese uh, property market. Then oh, yes. on, on that account, it is, is actually holding up pretty well. And I want to mention, I want to toss in. India as well, um, because and not because it's related to copper in, in in a direct sense, but you know we have Ashilaw Mittal that reported this uh, this morning their Q3 earnings and and they they a little bit oddly but actually they they tossed in this presentation and a forecast on steel consumption in India as I told you all, um, where they say it's going to double by 2032, so in the next eight nine years, they said the average steel consumption per capita in India is 80 kilograms versus 230 for the global average. So I think this is an outlook on steel, but you know that's driven by urbanization and you also need a lot of copper for uh, for pipe and wiring, for uh, for housing and skyscrapers. And so I guess the urbanization of India will increasingly become, become a more and more tailwind and a positive factor. Indeed, and uh, as it's uh, occurring at the same time as we, has the, uh, have, we have the transformation, uh, towards uh, cleaner energy sources, then, uh, then yeah, it's uh, we we maintain our our positive uh, medium to long term outlook on on the on that metal. Yeah, we we we're going to talk about the the final theme here, which is about the soft commodities. I think we touched on it in the uh, last week's episode as well, but maybe we can broaden it a little bit out. So you have these, you know, four decade high price in cocoa and twelve year high in sugar. We have a 24-year low in coffee. So I think the only red thread here is uh, extreme prices in in both up or in, and down in the range. And and just the weather patterns are just, you know, more volatile and more extreme than ever. And mm-hmm. it's, it's um, I know you, 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 
it's a very sensitive area to talk about food prices because it's, there's real life at stake and, and you know the world is still not fed probably so um but but we'll take us through you know the uh, El Nino developments and what these big big volatility uh, the the high volatility in weather what it does to to food supply. Yep, actually the the coffee is the coffee stocks which are twenty four ah, low, so that's that's underpinning prices yeah. as yeah. well. Um, but uh, the El Nino right now is is I think it, it just it, just right now we have a, a classic example of how how it just impacts. Uh, differently around the world. We have, uh, take sugar as an example, uh, as you mentioned, Peter, it just reached the 12-year high. We have imp- export restrictions in, in India. We have export retri- restrictions potentially also in, in Thailand due to uh, a, a much diminished uh, domestic uh, crop uh, season following, due to um, El Nino, uh, uh, hot, and, uh, hot and dry, uh, very dry weather. But what El Nino does as well at the same time, it tends to create uh, quite wet conditions in South America. And South America just come out of uh, La Nina, which was the opposite, where they had a period of dryness. Now they're having a period of, of wet conditions. And, and right now, if you look at sugar, the sugarcane harvest in, in Brazil is currently being delayed because it's too rainy. Sugar cannot be exported out of the ports because it cannot be exported if the if it's too damp uh, weather conditions, and that basically means that Brazil right now, which is the world's biggest export of sugar, we 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 need to rely on more and more Brazil for for supplies in the coming season. And we can see right now how this how this uh, El Nino is having an having an opposite impact. But you talked about food security, Peter, and and, and the, the the key is still I think the the key crops: rice, wheat, soybean, and corn. And we have had a, a good uh, season across the northern hemisphere. So we have the, kind of this north-south divide right now between these the grain sector, which is down on the year, and the soft sector, which is uh, sharply higher. But uh, we will obviously have to keep an eye on the of uh, further developments as we head into the into the to the northern hemisphere winter, southern hemisphere summer, and the, their planting and harvest season. We had a wisdom tree, the uh, the, uh, the 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 commodities uh, economist uh, on uh, this uh, podcast last week. And he also mentioned, uh, obviously, Australia this coming months with a uh, with a wheat production, which potentially could be be hurt by uh, by very hot weather. So, um, so the agriculture sector, if anything, um, could be increasingly volatile as we move into 2024. And we obviously will have to look at some of the underlying companies. Again, some of these can help be help uh, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So, uh, yeah. so that's what we'll be focusing on. Yeah, I can mention two uh, two two companies before we uh, wrap uh, this uh, podcast. Um, so Monsanto and Nutrien. Nutrien is a Canadian company. Monsanto is a U.S. Uh, company. There are others. Both companies are huge in uh, in in crop seeds, and um, some of them also d- uh, do type of uh, you know, um, modification on the of the crop seeds. They do engineering on them, and you know, with weather patterns changing. There's a lot of innovation to be made in terms of you know it could be uh, it could be um, you know a, a different breed of orange trees that are better at absorbing uh, higher temperatures could mm. be one variant. So I think that you know innovation in agricultural uh, crop seeds is potentially one area where where it could be um, there could be a lot of profitability in the in the future. So um, for those that are curious about that, you can check out uh, Monsanto and and, and Nutrien, and then of course there's a lot of other agri agri businesses out there. But um, you. Sorry, you wrote about that all in a in a recent commodity update, which you can find on analysis.saxo or in our uh, trading platform. But um, I think that's a wrap for today's uh, episode, and um, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week with uh, with new episodes. So um, if you're interested in commodities, watch what's going on in the crude oil market. Um, watch gold. 
And then again, you know, watch those uh, soft versus the uh, the northern hemisphere, uh, rice, wheat, etc. It's uh, it's definitely not boring in commodities. I think it's never boring, Ole. So it's most certainly never boring, though. No, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.